Well, it's time for another episode of drum roll, please. How <laughs> Betty Davis saved my life. Life lessons from classic Hollywood. We gotta get us some special effects, George. We gotta we we look, guys. We are totally working on our we're working on ourselves in 2023. I'm Moya. And I'm Georgia. And we are so excited to be with you. You don't know how much we anticipate these uh, episodes. Right, Georgia? Oh, we do. So we are going to get right into it. We have a Western for you. We have not done a Western in a while. Uh, if you have not checked out, uh, I believe it was our first Western starring Henry Fonda and um, Dana, Andrew Dana Andrews. The Oxbow Incident. Please check that out. A really deep, gut-wrenching, kick-in-the-gut Western from back in the day. But Georgia, this is a totally different type of situation with this Western. What is our movie for today? Fistful of Dollars. That's right. And, wow, what a movie. This actually was made in 64, and it was released to European audiences, and then they anticipated the lawsuit because it's such a ripoff of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo that they didn't release it in the U.S. until 1967. Hmm. But what's also incredible, here's a double twist on this. When Akira Kurosawa did Yojimbo, he ripped it off from Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest, which was done 30 years earlier. So it's a ripoff of a ripoff of a ripoff, or, or what we say politely is it's a remake. It's, it's a remake. It's a remake. <laughs> so. that, that's right. And, um, and hey, we did do one of Kurosawa's uh, just classic. We did Seven Samurai. So go and check out that episode um, of How Betty Davis Saved My Life, that episode of our podcast. So yeah, I kind of found that out too as well. What you're saying, Georgia, this, this, is, this movie has so much magic in, around it, Georgia. So tell us a little bit about it. It does. It has incredible magic. I think the thing that made it stand out is that up until this point, we had westerns, groundbreaking ones like Stagecoach. We did Stagecoach, guys. I'm so yeah, I'm lying. Thank you, Georgia. We did Stagecoach, so I think that was our we, last western. Yeah. yeah, it was. And then along later came High Noon, which was another groundbreaking yes. one for its time. Yes. And up until this time, you know, you had seen westerns that were very. Um, romantic and had romantic adventure and they had honor and bravery yeah it was a, a, a set a set program like a set uh if you will way of doing it yeah you're absolutely right moya and so what this director does his name is sergio leone and he's italian this is so crazy to me because you have a western made in spain by an italian who couldn't <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy and so what he does is he turns the whole genre on his head and so he gives it this very spare stark look and what he's also doing is he is having a very gritty a very cynical viewpoint of it the way his style of directing goes is he's emphasizing 
these very extreme facial close-ups. Mm -hmm. He's got stark, stark barren landscapes. And then he has these sudden explosions of violence. Now, he does break it up with moments of humor to break up the tension. Yes, so funny. But the, the music is also another character. Yes, it is. It, it totally is. It ties everything together the way it's done. And so I'm going to go ahead and launch right into the plot so you know what's going on here. Okay, we have who is this is first of all this is the first of a trilogy okay there was first fistful of dollars then it was followed by for a few dollars more and then there was the good the bad and the ugly mm -hmm. and in this movie the plot starts out with you have a mysterious stranger he's a drifter he's a gunslinger and well the guy's a mercenary yeah and he arrives unexpectedly in this small town near the Mexican border. It's, it's in Mexico. Uh, there are two vicious families who are in there where they're locked in a very deadly power struggle. One does gun running and the other one runs liquor. And this is a fight. It's evil against evil. Okay. And Clint Eastwood <clears throat> hires himself out to both sides. He has no loyalty to either side and he uses his wits and his six-shooter, and he plays both sides against the other. Mm -hmm. And this guy is, you know, when you see him in this role, he looks like a guy who is just so laid back. He has to stir himself to act. But when he does, it's as if, you know, you get the impression he'd rather be dozing off all the whiskeys he's been drinking. Mm -hmm. But his keeps ticking away and he's always looking for the angles and this is just so amazing in that you look at him and you think well you know you want to think of him as the good guy but there's not really any truly good right. heroic people in this movie there aren't there's no heroes so if you're looking for heroes i mean there is there's a little a part or segment of the movie where there, he does something that's very unselfish. Yes, there is. You got to see that. But uh, it's it's this turns the whole Western genre totally on its head. It's completely different. It's gripping. It's riveting. It's fascinating to me. And I just thought, man, this is this is fun. This is a fun movie to watch. No matter how you feel about needing a hero in a movie, you got to admit it's fun. Now, Georgia, you didn't mention, you're leaving a big part out, who is the main character or who plays the main <laughs> character? We have got Clint Eastwood. And you know what's so amazing is he just finished eight seasons of playing Rowdy Yates in Rawhide. Mm -hmm. His career was pretty much over. He was not anywhere near their first pick. But, you know, after filming this movie, you know, he forgot the movie. He forgot all about its title. And it wasn't until he found out that he was the number one box office star in Europe. He <laughs> was stunned. He was absolutely stunned. And then when this movie caught on in the United States, boom, it was, it made. This movie was done on a $200,000 budget. Mm. And it made $14 million like that. That's that's a real ROI. What can I say? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, and Clint Eastwood, you see this character that he does. You see the basis of how he does 
Dirty Harry and all the mm-hmm. movies he goes up to direct later on is really a variation of this character. Right. And it worked for him. Right. And when I looked at it, because um, I've seen it like a million times, I never get tired of it. But this is the first time me seeing it and like, uh, like, and I try, like, I always say I try to go in ignorant. I'll be ignorant anyway. But I try to go in uh, unprejudiced, you know, by anybody else, anyone else's reviews or critiques. Um, but I did see uh, Clint, you know, talking about it and some other people talking about it. And he mentioned, um, and of course on YouTube, he would, you could see some Clint Eastwood uh, interviews about it. Um, but now, I don't know if you found this in your research but I'm certainly certain anyone who was a Western fan, especially of TV, the Western on TV, I got a have gun will travel vibe the with Richard Boone because that started in 57 and went to 63. Uh, uh, a Fistful of Dollars was produced in 64. And like you said, it came out later. But it's to- I'm not going to say it's ripping it off, but Richard Boone's character, we don't know his, they call him Paladin, um, because he has uh, that knight uh, chess piece on his card, but he basically rolls in just like Clint Eastwood, he's an expert gunfighter, so I, there's a lot of similarities right there, in my opinion. What? I never made that parallel, but now that you mention it, I can see it now. And yes. Have Gun Will Travel was groundbreaking because it was, it was unapologetic. You know, of course, Westerns are violent, but there was... You know, Paladin was a good guy, but uh, it it was what it was. There, there was there was now always happy endings, and sometimes there were very sad endings. So I think uh, so I'll, I'll just say this: I wouldn't be surprised if Sergio Leone had or somebody saw Have Gun Will Travel a little bit too, mm-hmm. even though he got it from Yohimbo. But uh, Kurosawa may have seen Have Gun Will Travel, so you don't know. Dashiell Hammett. Um, you know, may have, uh, or either have gun will travel. Cause when, I don't know, when did red, what do you say? It was red harvest. When did that come out? Probably came out. Yeah. yeah. 30 years before your Jimbo okay. came out. Okay. So that was, it probably was years before have gun. So I don't know. I think someone had to have seen from all those people. I think it's connected is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent, um, analysis right there, Moya, because yeah, you can definitely see so many similarities in that. Mm-hmm. And I totally had not even seen it. Well, good for you. Moya. <laughs> but you know, I, I was going to say that, um, you know, at the time that this movie came out, the Western was actually dying and he reinvigorated because yeah. a 34% of Hollywood produced movies in 1950 were Westerns. That's how many there were. And then at the time this was made, in 60, well, it was made around 63, 64. That percentage had dropped to only 9%. Wow. And he, but Leone, the director, he gambled on something and it turned out to be really good because he felt, he and the producers realized that uh, European audiences who had grown up under fascism, they yeah. were still craving the freedom and the wide open spaces yeah. shown in Western. And so, he gave the people what they wanted, and boom, it caught on like fire. Perfect. And reinvigorated the whole genre right there. Perfect. You got to give the people what they want. The OJs were right. Yes. <laughs> but you know, there's something that I thought was kind of interesting of the technique that this director uses. And it was groundbreaking at the time. He wanted the audience to 
feel what it was like to get shot. So what he did was two things. He would put the victim and the shooter in the exact same scene, and then he would shoot sometimes from over the shoulder of the shooter. Mm -hmm. So you would see the shooter's point of view as he's pointing the gun and shooting the the part the victim there. Okay. So that that had not really been done with a lot of of um, frequency before, but he does it in such a way to really bring the the shock value of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing I'm thinking of when I was a little kid, I don't know if you ever did the same thing. Probably a lot of us did. We see the opening part of Gunsmoke before they changed it because a lot of people thought it was oh, too yeah. violent. Where you see the showdown between Marshall oh, yeah. and the guy and all in black and then he like outdraws him and shoots him down you know yeah well you see that you see that but a lot of people that had such a problem with that mm-hmm. that they changed the opening to where mm-hmm. then it showed him like riding a horse really fast you know oh yeah a- a- across the plains yeah you see yeah okay james I didn't... Arthur, do that yeah uh-huh georgia did yes. you have uh uh, well, I, I'm the only child, and my mom was raised with a bunch of brothers. So, of course, she couldn't help get beat. She wasn't tomboyish at all, but, she, you know, she, you know, had a lot of dude energy. And so she would buy me. I, I, I should have been totally confused because she dressed me up like a baby doll. But then every now and then a, a pop gun would show up, or a Batman bristle. <laughs> and I loved it, me. <laughs> And girl, when she bought me that pop gun, I went berserk. And it it wasn't a Western gun. It was a um, oh gosh, it was it it wasn't a, a revolver. Oh, I don't know my guns well, but maybe it was like a a little thirty two or something like that. I don't know. It might have been a twenty two. Um, but anyway, did you have like a pop gun or anything or any Western type toys when you were younger? I sure did. Weren't they fun? <laughs> I had the gun. I had the handcuffs. I, I was I, well. I was gonna be a because you're right. By the time I my I was a kid, you're right. The Westerns that kind of died down. So I got I got like the cop kit. But so you well, so what did you have? Well, actually, um, I had like a little cowboy gun, looked like a revolver, and then I borrowed my brother. He had a pop gun. Uh-huh. He had another thing. Kind of like an automatic, you know? Yeah, that's why I had an automatic. I think <laughs> automatic, you yeah. know. Oh, it's just like, I don't know. Girl, that's fun. That was so much fun. And it was, and we, you know, you look, no one turned out to be deranged or, or gun killers or like gun happy, you know, but it was just fun because it was, you know, you were a child and that's what you did. So I was ecstatic recently. I forgot where I was. Some of the Western toys are starting to reappear on toy shelves. And um, I saw like a silver cap gun, and, and now they have to put like the orange tip on. Whatever the silver cap gun, like no cops would be confused by that unless you, you all, unless you're a modern day cop and you live in Gunsmoke time. But you know, but you know, they, but I think they still had the little orange tip on, like they had like a long rifle or something. I saw like the Indian kit uh, with the arrows, and I was like, that's so nostalgic and cute. Oh, it is. It's it's just fun. I mean. Kids just naturally gravitate to that. And then as you get older, that part of the kid still stays inside it you. It does. And I think, I think that's why there's such an appeal. Boy, you just really tapped into why there is such is still an appeal for Westerns. Mm-hmm. It's that part of us. There's something kind of empowering and challenging about the whole thing. Right. You know, and this is at a time, the way they portray this movie 
is that um, they're a, a place where every day was a fight to survive and yes. it being able to death was the only thing that mattered. Yes. And so this is, this is a mercenary guy and he has motives. He does guilt-free killing and all yes. that. So this kind of takes it another step it sure further. Does. It does. We're going further out there because in the uh, the way Westerns had been portrayed previously was because if there was any killing, it was done for, oh, righteous reasons. Right, reasons right, right, right. Your land and your farm and your family and there's marauding right. Indians that don't attack you, that kind of thing. No, this is a whole different type of... Strictly survival, of, you versus me, I'm going to get you before you get me type situation. Right. And, um, but I, I can't really emphasize enough how this movie became such a, and, and Clint Eastwood became such a cultural icon. Yes. A mythic. Yes. How this was very, I, I can't emphasize enough. This is groundbreaking. It I mean, is. and this plus the hero here, you know, he's a different kind. Okay. Let's go into Clint Eastwood a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's surly and he was a non-smoker, but he used this bitten off cigar stub as a prop to give him that right look. Yeah. And that. And so he is one of these super cool guys. He's kind of laid back. Uh, he's, he's tough. He's badass. He's got all this swagger. And, um, yeah, he did. This is the same thing. Like I said before, he goes on and does the dirty hairy thing, but this appealed to people at the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, and so he was a real hit with the ladies. <laughs> girl, and I'd have been had my number in my hand waiting for my turn. Cause girl, Clint Eastwood, when he was young, oh my gosh, even when on route, he was kind of like a little goofy, like wrangly looking. But by the time he got to hit the movies, the Western, Clint Eastwood was, oh, him and Burt Lancaster, you know, those are my men. Girl, just, oh. And and then, because he wasn't trying to be sexy as Steve McQueen. He wasn't trying. He just, either you got it or you don't, you know? That's what I'm saying. Well, he has a son named Scott Eastwood. And he's, he's gorgeous. Oh. Yes, he is. Ooh. He's gorgeous. He's, it's amazing what can be done uh, with a small budget and having such a profound impact on movie-making history, Moya. <laughs> I'm just floored by this. Oh, yeah. This is like a little miracle. It's it's another one of those, the little movie that could. It's right. another one of those. And Clint was saying that the clothes were his. Because, the, yes. yes, and I, the shoe, the boots were his. And um, he, he <laughs> we were laughing. He was saying the hat, you know, I think the hat, he had to go buy the hat. But, you know, he would take all the clothes home with him because they didn't have any duplicates. <laughs> so if they, if they got messed up, especially the hat. You know, you couldn't duplicate that. And that's just so funny how the backstory to these iconic, iconic. So I, I like anime and one of my favorite animes, and it's kind of controversial, this anime. Um, And it's almost as old. It's a, it's, is it almost as old as uh, as this movie, uh, Lupin the Third? And one of the characters in there, the, the gunslinger, um, course i can't remember his name y'all tell me now in the comments on our facebook page how betty davis saved my life he is totally clint eastwood and the good i mean in the westerns and dirty harry um jegan jegan that's his name so and he talks like um they drew him the shoe i mean so that movie just it, it's still today that is so iconic and influences so many things the gunfights the shootouts you didn't see those that you didn't see shootouts like that before so it was just i love it 
Well, boy, I'm going to wrap up with a couple little things here uh, that also makes this movie a real miracle is the fact that the director did not speak English and Clint Eastwood did not speak Italian. Right. And so uh, at times I'd have to use an interpreter, but what he also did was the director would put on a hat, he put on these fake toy guns, and then what he would do is he could say the phrase, Clint, watch me. And then what he would do is mimic or mime the action that he wanted Clint Eastwood to do. And that's how he would communicate with him. And yes, this movie is dubbed. I'm sure you noticed that. We have done so much better with dubbing nowadays. But it wasn't a bad dub. We've certainly seen worse. It was not a bad dub. It wasn't a bad dub Mm -hmm. at all. And so they the way the reason they dubbed it, there was a couple of reasons. The first was because um it was gonna be released in different languages. Mm-hmm. It was gonna be and so they had to that's why they had to dub it later on. Okay. Was to do that. And um so uh, yeah, it, it just was better having to do that if you're gonna do something in different languages to, right. to dub it like that. And um but but I agree with you, Moy, it wasn't a bad dub. No. It really was. No. Um, the only there was only one thing that I thought was, eh, and I don't know if you felt the same way. There's like a little kid mm-hmm. that's in there, and he'll like kind of cry a little bit, and that was the only part to me that I thought they could have done a better job on the dubbing was just with, oh, okay. with the little kid. Yeah, well, but other than that, hey, it was. <laughs> I thought this movie just still packs a punch still even packs after a punch years. that's crazy like 60 almost 60 years later i guess um 60 plus years later is it no 50 something almost 60 yeah because it, it actually came out in what 60 well it it was produced in 64 came out in 67 you said exactly okay so yeah so yeah it's it's uh um almost 60 years old um but no it's still packs a punch now clint was saying that with the dubbing someone warned him save all your notes from the dubbing say because the production company is going they're going to lose the audio production and she said sure sure enough they lost it so when he had to go back to dub he had all his notes of where you know where he said stuff and you know blah 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 and so so that was interesting that he had to you know, had he not saved the notes, you know, we may not have gotten a, a, a the the dub we got or or a dub at all. He might have to, you know, who knows, go back and I'm not, not shoot the whole thing over, but it just probably would have, would have been a been would have been a more tedious task. So so it's so funny this these masterpieces. It's like so outside of Star Wars, I can't think of another successful trilogy well star trek law those trekkers don't come for me yeah. they know, and there's some people who some trek star treks were better than the others and of course you know i'm talking about the original star wars trilogy not none of this stuff today so um but yeah there's the star treks the original star wars and i enjoyed all the star treks you know i, I i'm I, i'm not a hardcore trekkie you know I, I would never try to put myself in on y'all level, but I love well, I love sci-fi, but I love Star Trek and I love Star Wars. But yeah, the um the dollar movies as they're called. Can you think of another trilogy that's been as successful? Well, Indiana Jones, I'm forgetting. Oh yeah, there yeah. you go. There you- and some people don't like the fourth one, uh, the one about the skulls or whatever. Yeah, I was okay with it till the ending. 
Um, but yeah, so so yeah, so still more George Lucas and you know Spielberg type thing uh, is in you know in a mix with that. But yeah, what else could be a successful trilogy? Can you think of anything else? I can think of series, but I can't really. I don't know if there were trilogies because you know there was the Die Hard movies. Yeah, the and, Die Hard. That's right. And that's right. Uh, so we had like a series of other, well, like you know all the Rambo, the Rambo, the Rambo. Yeah, that. yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true, and I uh, I liked the nineties Charlie ain't Charlie Charlie's Angels, so I don't know if those are really a oh, trilogy. Yeah. I guess um those were good. I don't know. I have to really sit there and think about it. So just off the top of my head, um, but yeah, they. So unfortunately, Georgia, did you run across this? They are thinking about remaking this movie. Did you run across that? Your mouth uh, is gaping wide open. Oh. It's so funny. Oh my god. Girl, I saw that and almost started crying. I was like, and of course they said, Well, we're gonna put a, a contemporary spin. I was like, oh no, 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 no. Oh no. No. Perfect as it is. There's no way. This movie really fit the bill for me because you I was in the mood. I had come home after a long hard day, and then to watch a good old shoot 'em up like So Georgia, you you will clean this wood and, and and you could tell me when we finish who was the who are the Baxters, who were the Rawls. <laughs> oh man, girl, yes. That's a good see that's better than you going set it off, obviously. Let let the movie set it off for you. Um, but you know what else I got out of this? Um, because Vietnam was still going on. And, um, you know, World War II was, what, only, like, maybe 15, almost 20 years. Uh, uh, yeah, have yeah have Vietnam started? Because Vietnam ended in, what, 75? When did Vietnam end? 72, 70, 74? I, I want to say 73, 74. Okay, yeah. So, no, so Vietnam started... Um, Hadn't you know it hadn't started yet when this came out? No. I don't somebody correct us. So no, it hadn't started. Of course it was right around the corner. But um you still have you still but I, I think well this is the point I'm trying to make. Of course we still had skirmishes around the world world. You did have the the Spanish Civil War that happened. You still, like you said, you had the fascism that still um was still fresh in people's mind, but unfortunately Vietnam was um right around the corner um and of course uh, we did have it wasn't the super cold war yet but we um still had the issue with russia and all that but i'm saying all that to say and so you know you said it was based off dashiell hammett and of course he had written this post world war one and I, I don't know the time stamp of world war ii but you, you gotta know it was kind of you know swimming around that time but my point is Certainly now, as I looked at it, I was like, oh my gosh, you have two powerful factions being played off of one another by one, uh, almost invisible, if you will, unsuspected player who's manipulating and causes these two factions to go against each other which clears a path for him to do what he wants to do. And of course he takes his licks and bruises. And then 
what's still running the world? Arms, arms races, vice. So we had the liquor, we had the gun running, and uh, and we had the U.S. government. We had governments involved in it. We had the U.S. government along with the Mexican. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a, a, an analogy for several things that are going on right now. And unfortunately, you United States finger is a is is uh, in a lot of deadly pies. And we're doing this. We, you know, we almost, you know, like the 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 uh, it's a it's a meme or it's like a gif. Well, um, it's a, it was from a comedy show, a British comedy show, and they have these two guys, and they're like the Nazis, and they're looking at each other during a time, and it's like, I think we're the baddies, you know, like <laughs> I think we're the bad guys in this. And I'm like, I was like, it was like Clint Eastwood, you know, like you said, no one was innocent in in this movie which was very refreshing. But it's, it just shows how easily things could get manipulated when you have two powerful pieces engaging in, in, in black market activity and the, the, the powers that be that's supposed to be making sure that this doesn't happen or contributing to it. And to kudos to, and I say maybe Clint Eastwood is big business. He could be America. He could be another country. If you want to try to make an analogy, you take advantage of it. It's, I'm not saying it's right at all. It's horrible, but it's, 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 it's what people do, you know? So that's a, that was my take on it. But I could look at this movie like every year. I love this movie. And I also at some point we're going to get to the rest of the doubt for, um, for a few dollars more. And what Pip, some people think is the quintessential uh, of all three, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I I love all three, and especially Eli Wallach's uh, turn and um and uh oh gosh, my, is he is he in the um is it the yeah the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yeah, he's, he's in yeah. the good, the bad, and the ugly because right. Lee Van Cleef is in uh, for a few dollars more. I haven't seen that one. I've seen oh really? First I saw the good, bad, and the ugly, and then I saw this one. Now mm -hmm. I've got to see for a few dollars more. With, okay, um, well we're gonna do that one soon. Yes. Lee Van well, that'll be our like maybe that'll be our next western. Well, guys, that is it. George, is that it? You, is there anything else you have on your um your cheat sheet there? No, that's a wrap for me, Moya. Well, guys, please go and check out um a fistful of dollars, the movie that made Clint Eastwood. That's how we know who who he is. Um, and it's just just a masterpiece. If you like westerns, even if you like westerns, you but you like action. It just happened to be set in a Western um, Western uh, setting. But please go and check it out. And uh, what's our next movie? That's a shame I'm supposed to remember. Well, <laughs> it's Blade. How you gonna oh, look? my it's gosh. We're going to do Blazing Sound. <laughs> I guess, actually, that's our next quote-unquote Western. Yes, yeah, so we're staying in the West, guys. So this, so you talk about extremes. So we're going from shoot them up ah, to pull out the gun and ah, I don't know if you want to put it like that. Sound deranged, but yeah, one of the best comedies ever, starring Cleavon Little, um, Gene Wilder, and Mel Brooks, Harvey Harvey Corman, um, and my girl, um, I can't think of uh, Madeline Kahn is freaking. So I, we can't wait. So we will see you guys next time. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. 
How Betty Davis Saved My Life. And uh, also check us out on our YouTube channel where there's a brand new fresh video that um, for our Late to the Party series, um, the users also can be seen on YouTube. Um, uh, Jacqueline Smith and John Forsyth star in from like the 70s. It's a really good, really good, just juicy movie, you know, like those good 70s, uh, what is like those Sunday night movies and stuff like that and men and women and fashion and scandal. I mean, just really, really good. So um, we did that. Um, that's for our, I'm sorry, our Late to the Party series and um, my little take on that well guys we enjoy it we cannot wait to see you next time thank you for all your love and support on um all our groups uh, uh silver screen oasis cinema cafe step back in a time 70s 80s 90s the ultimate fashion history all those great channels on facebook please go and check those out as well well for how betty davis saved my life life lesson from classic hollywood i'm moya and I'm Georgia. And we cannot wait to see you. We're going to stay in the West, y'all. So hang on in there with us. See you guys next time. Take care.